to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Uh, this is Second Thessalonians chapter two. I'm backing up a little bit. We were we're talking about how uh, you know dogmatism and 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 am I dogmatic on whether or not I understand the end time the way that I understand the end times? I'm very strong in that in that measure. I believe uh, strongly. I believe that the Bible backs up what it is that I teach. Um, is there room for the Lord to change my mind? Absolutely, completely and totally. Uh, I don't see how the Lord would do it, but God can do anything, can't he? You know, I mean, he's not going to deny himself. His word isn't going to, to be untrue. Uh, but as far as I can see and as far as I have studied, I'm teaching the way that I believe that the end times are going to unfold before us. I believe that the very next thing on the uh, end times agenda uh, could very well possibly be the rapture of the church. I believe that the rapture of the church from the very first day of the church age uh, is something that was imminent. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I believe and I teach that Jesus can come back at any moment and take his church home with him. And uh I believe that that happened from the very first day that Jesus, he ascended into heaven and all the disciples were sitting there looking at Jesus as he ascended into heaven. And God had to send a couple of angels, you know, to the people and say, hey, why do you stand here gazing up in the heavens? Do you not know that he will come in like manner when he comes, when he returns? And so Jesus is going to come in the clouds. Paul Paul talks about that as we have talked about you know Jesus coming as as Paul was talking about back in First Thessalonians chapter four First or Second Thessalonians chapters two you know how the rapture of the church I believe that the rapture of the church where that we will be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air and so we shall always be with the Lord. You know, Paul says comfort one another with these words. Know that you're going to be taken home one day. You're going to be taken home one day with the Lord up in the clouds. There's going to be a voice, a shout, a shout of an archangel, a, a trumpet of God. And, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Well, that word harpazo, caught up, harpazo or, or rapture, rapturos in the, in the Latin, if you will, Latin vulgate. That's where we get our word rapture from. Whatever you want to call it. I believe the church is going to be caught up or taken together with the Lord, and we shall meet the Lord in the clouds. The rapture of the church, when we look at the rapture of the church, I don't look at that as the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is when Jesus puts his feet back down upon the face of this earth. I believe that we're going to meet the Lord in the clouds. We're going to ascend to meet with the Lord in the clouds. How that happens, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know how that happens. A lot of things that, that happen that I don't understand. When the blind man, you know, uh, he was, he was blind and, and, and he said, Lord, that I might see and that the Lord, you know, kind of, 
you know, put a little of his saliva on the ground and mixed it with the mud and stuck it on the guy's eyes and said, okay, open your eyes. And he opened his eyes and he could see. How did that happen? I don't know. All I know is that that's what the Bible tells me and that that is not something that is be above or beyond what God can do. And so God has the capacity to do things that are beyond the realm of my understanding. That's why he's God and I'm not. That's why he's God and you're not. And so how the church is going to be raptured up into heaven, I don't know. Are our clothes going to stay here? I, I don't know. I don't know how all that happens. I don't know. I mean, are we, you know, is, is our clothes just going to like boom and we're, we're going to be gone or does our bodies just kind of like stay here and we're all just, we just all immediately die and our spirits going, you know, I don't know. All I know, all I know is that we're going to meet with the Lord in the clouds one day. Now, does that, is that going to happen in our lifetime? I'm going to live like it is. I'm going to live like today it can happen. That's the whole purpose of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We never know when it's going to happen. Jesus says, if the house owner knew what day the thief was going to break in and steal, he'd be prepared, right? You watch and you be ready for you do not know the hour, the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour when that's going to happen. But the rapture of the church is when we ascend and meet the Lord in the clouds. And we then go into heaven with the Lord as the church. I don't have time to develop all this because I want to get in and finish Second Thessalonians chapter 3 today. But here, here's the thing. We will meet the Lord in the clouds and, and we will be with the Lord. That begins what we see, I believe, a three or a seven, a seven year period upon the face of this earth that we call the tribulation period. A, a very charismatic individual is going to rise to the surface. He's the Antichrist. He's going to bring the nations together. He's going to, uh, he's going to, to bring a peace that has never been seen before, where there is peace between the Jews and the Arabs, if you will, or the Gentiles. And he's going to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple, which, by the way, all the way from back in 1992, the Jews said, we are ready and able and uh, we, we have everything we need to rebuild the temple. All we need is the approval. All that we need is the permission. So the, the Jews are ready to rebuild their temple. This charismatic leader that comes on the scene, when the church is taken out of the way, he'll come on the scene, he'll allow the Jews to rebuild their temple, Israel to rebuild their temple. And there will actually be worship on top of the temple mount again for the Lord. And and in the midst of that three and a half year period, or in that seven year period, the three and a half year period, what Paul was talking about here in Second Thessalonians, that 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 man, that that son of perdition, he will walk into the holy place and he will declare himself to be God. It's at that time that the eyes of the Jews will open up and the scales will fall off their eyes. For up until that time, they will look at this man as their savior. We look at and we talk to uh, Jews when we go over to Israel. Even over here in the U.S., 
and you talk to, you know, a, a, a religious Jew and you talk about, uh, Jesus Christ. Then we don't believe in him. I, there's, and, and they, the stumble because they think there's no way that God would ever become a man and then succumb himself, you know, uh, make himself vulnerable to die at the hands of man. That's a weak God. That's not our God. That's blasphemous to the Jew. And so the Jew says, no, 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 no. Our Messiah, our Messiah is coming on the scene. He's going to be a very charismatic leader. He will, he will bring the nations together. He will allow us to have a peace with our neighbors. He will actually even allow us to build our temple again. And you say to the Jew, what you are describing is what the Bible describes as the Antichrist. And the Jew will say, well, you call him Antichrist. We call him Christ or Mashiach, Messiah. But they will be duped by that. But in the middle of that seven-year period, their eyes will open when he walks into the temple and he sits down upon the mercy seat into the Holy of Holies. And he says, I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the Lord. No one has ever been able to do what I do. Daniel chapter seven talks about how he'll speak pompous words. He'll speak fluffy words he'll 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 honor himself he'll he'll be able to to you know draw the attention of the world to him but when he does that deed where he walks into the temple that he has brokered the peace plan He's brokered the, the ability for the Jews to rebuild their temple. He will walk into the temple and their eyes will open. They'll go, no, 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 no. You are not allowed in here. This is not the day for you to be in this temple. This is not the day for, for you to be coming into this courtyard. You can't be here. But he goes in anyways and he goes into the temple. He goes into the holy place and he walks past the holy place and even into the holy of holies. And he sits upon the Ark of the Covenant and he says, I am the Lord. And the eyes of the, of the Jews will open. The religious Jews will open and they'll see him for who he is. He is the Antichrist. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place. Let him who is on the housetop not go back and get his coat. Pray that your flight is not in the winter, nor that you are pregnant or nursing babes in those days. But get out of Dodge, man. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of there because your life hangs in the balance. He will kill you. And so the Jews, they'll run. And I believe that they'll go into an area uh, in Jordan, I believe that it's a place over there in the, 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 into Selah, if you will, or into the rock city of Petra to be protected. I believe the Bible talks about how the armies of the enemy will, will try to come at them and the Lord will open up the, open up the earth and, and, and swallow the armies as they're trying to come in to take out his chosen people. Out of those chosen Jews that are there. Now understand, these are Jewish people. 
The Bible talks about back in Daniel chapter 9 that there are 70 seven-year periods that are determined for the nation of Israel. 483 of those seven-year period, or 483 years, or 69 of those seven-year periods have all been fulfilled up to this day. There remains one seven-year period left to be fulfilled, according to Daniel chapter 9. And it's going to be fulfilled in that last day. But right now, we're living in the day of the church. It's a church age. I'm very quick. I'm kind of going through a very quick synopsis of what is happening. Revelation chapter one is the present. Revelation chapter or Revelation chapter one is the past. The things that we see in the past. Revelation chapters two and three are the things that we see in the past and even the things that have filtered even into the present. The church age, chapters two and three of Revelation are the church age. But chapter four begins, as I've shared before, of the book of Revelation. It begins with a voice, with a shout, with a trumpet, with a voice coming from heaven saying, come up here. If the a voice from heaven says, come up here, someone's going to come up. But it says, after these things. That's how chapter 4, verse 1 begins in Revelation. After these things, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And it says, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 says this, After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. What would that signify? A door standing open in heaven. When there's a door open, either someone's coming through it towards us or someone's going from us towards it, right? There's a door open and it's going to receive or it's going to have somebody come through it, right? I saw a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. So, what verse one says is that it's not someone coming out. It's actually someone going in, right? And so this door standing open in heaven, come up here. This is someone is going to go to heaven. Someone is going into heaven. Come up here and I will show you things which will take place after these things. After what things? It started with, after these things, I looked. Come up here, I'll show you things that will happen after these things. After what things? Well, we just got done talking about chapters two and three, which is the church. When the church has run its course, when the church is done, when the church has has completed its mission, and what is the church? The church is those who believe in the gift that God has given his only begotten son. When Jesus said, I am not going to go away and leave you orphans, but when I go away, it's to your advantage that I go away, for when I go away, I'm going to send back to you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He's 
with you. You know who he's with you right now, but he will be in you. And so that's a future tense that he was saying to the disciples. When he died on the cross and he breathed in them, John chapter 20 says, Jesus appeared to them in the upper room and he breathed on them and he said, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says to us, receive the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, we're going to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that the Holy Spirit is going to come in to those disciples that Jesus breathed on at that moment. This is a fulfillment of what's happening. Jesus says, when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's with you, but he will be in you. He breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. From that moment forward began the church. From that very moment, the church age was begun. When the Holy Spirit has come to reside in the hearts of all who believe in Jesus Christ, in the death of Jesus Christ. That's the church. Well, John, the revelator, the John, the man who had been banished to the island of Patmos because they said, we can't get rid of this guy, man. We tried to boil this guy in oil and he wouldn't cook. You know, we've tried to kill this guy in so many ways. Let's just banish him to the island of Patmos. And so John, the the disciple of Jesus, he was the youngest of all of the disciples. He was the last one to die of all the disciples. He's banished to the island of Patmos and he writes. And he has this vision of, of the book of Revelation. And as he writes out the book of Revelation through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, blessed are those who read and understand this prophecy. It's the only book in all of the Bible that says that you are blessed if you read and you understand it. Why do I believe that that is an important thing to point out? It's for this reason. It's important to understand the magnitude of the church. It's, under, it's, it's important to understand what the church's role is. It's important to understand that you belong to one of those seven churches. If you want to know which church you belong to, I believe that there's three applications of each one of those seven churches that we read in the book of of Revelation chapters two and three. I believe that there actually was a church of Ephesus. I believe that there was a church of Laodicea. I believe that there was a church of Philadelphia, Thyatira, Smyrna, Pergamos. I believe that all of these churches existed in a local place, in an actual place. But I believe that also that there is a time in history where each one of these churches, and this becomes a little bit more blurry, and and I understand that, but I believe that there is a time in history that that church, each one of these seven churches, represent a time in history of what was going on at that time, of what was kind of going on. Uh, you know, the, 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 the church, what was happening in the church, like a Protestant reformation or, or the beginning of the church where the beginning of the church was so on fire for the Lord, but then they became kind of bored. They continued to do the things that they were supposed to do. They were going to church. They were doing the things that they were supposed to do. That's the church of Ephesus, Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your works. I know that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, but the one thing that I do have against you is this. You have left your first love. It's easy. You understand it. I understand it, that when you become a Christian, it's easy. It's easy to allow the fire to die down in us. Is it not? 
And Jesus would say to you, as he said to the church of Ephesus, Ephesus, you've left your first love. Do you remember that you, when, when, we, when you had that love and that passion for me? He said, so here's what I'm going to counsel you to do. Repent, okay? Acknowledge that you, that you have done that. Repent and return to that place that you did. That, that you were, and then redo the things that you were doing in the beginning. He was saying, hey, go back to the place that you were when you were on fire for me, when you were walking with me, when you were excited about me. And so the first church is Ephesus. And as it moves through all the various uh, stations or the, all the various times of church, there's like the last four churches are kind of, they actually kind of meld even into this very day. And again, I know that those things are a little foggy right there, but then I think that the the historical setting of the church, but then I think that there is that third application, which is more of a personal application. And I believe that that is a church that you more identify with. I, I would encourage each and every one of you to go home. And I, I don't want you to, to, to just listen to this and then you go home and not pay attention to what I'm saying. Go home and look at the seven churches that you see in the first two cha- or the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation. And ask yourself which one of those churches most closely resembles your life. That's the church you belong to. And then take heed to what it is that Jesus is saying to that church. Very often, churches, pastors will come from the pulpit and say, oh, all those other churches are a part of those other churches, but we're the church of Philadelphia. <laughs> and it's so easy to, to say, oh, I'm the church that loves other people. I love everybody, you know. But, but take an honest assessment of your life and see which church you actually belong to. And when you look at that, find out and and see what the Lord says to that church and then take his counsel. Take his counsel because every single one of those churches, Jesus gives counsel to get right again, to make sure that you're right with him. But again, those two chapters, chapters two and chapters three are the church age. That's where the Holy Spirit has come into the hearts and the lives of individuals. But when the the church is no longer mentioned after chapter three, until you get all the way up into chapter uh, 19, 20, 21 in the book of Revelation. Chapter four begins after these things. After what things? After the church. After the church has run its course. After the church is done. Paul talks about back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, you know what restrains this Antichrist from coming on the the scene. And he'll continue to restrain until he is taken out. Until he's taken out. I believe that's us, the church. When we are gone, we're what's holding the Antichrist from being revealed. I believe that we're going to be taken out in the rapture of the church. And as we are taken out in the rapture of the church, we will meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds, and we will be with the Lord. We will go into heaven, and for that seven-year period, there will be a time of the Bema Seat judgment where we'll be up there and we'll, we'll, we'll be with the Lord. There, or I'm sorry, there, there's not the Bema Seat judgment. It's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. I believe that that's where we are going to be with the Lord and we're going to be hanging with him for about seven years. We're going to return with him. I believe we're going to return with him after the seven years. 
But that seven-year period is where God is no longer dealing with the church, but God is dealing with his final seven-year period with the Jews. There's still a seven-year period that God is still going to deal with the Jews. He has an issue. He has a, he has a, a, a prophetic seven-year period where he is going to work with the Jews. Now, understand, the 144,000 saints in the tribulation, those 144,000 little Billy Graham evangelists that are going to go across this globe during the midst of that tribulation period, they are not the Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? They're just not. They're not any other cult that's out there. The 144,000 tribulation saints are those 144,000 evangelists that will be upon the scene are all going to be Jewish. They're all going to be Jewish. That's God dealing with the nation of Israel. He's going to open their eyes. They're going to be passionately serving him. The second three and a half year period. The first three and a half period year period, they're duped by the Antichrist. The second three and a half year period, that Antichrist is trying to kill them. But they're out there evangelizing anybody that would listen. All of this said, this is, I guess, what I didn't have opportunity to completely say last week on the tape. There's just so much. I mean, how do you, how do you break all this stuff down into one message? It's kind of tough even into just a couple of messages. It is kind of tough. But as, as we, we see this, what Paul was saying here in, and it comes back to this point where I was beginning, is that the church is gone in the rapture of the church. The Antichrist comes on the scene. He makes a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. In the middle of the seven-year period, he breaks the treaty. How does he break the treaty? He goes into the temple and he declares himself to be God. He'll then make war with the saints and he'll prevail against them. It's one of the reasons why I don't believe that any, the church is not going to be in the midst of the, of the tribulation. Because Jesus said to Paul, or not to Paul, but to Peter, he said, Peter, upon the confession that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, that's what I'm going to build my church on. But when the church is gone, the church is no longer here. The only saints that are going to be upon the face of this earth are going to be the saints that get saved during the tribulation period. Okay? They're the saints that get saved. They are the people, the unsaved people that gets saved during that seven-year period. While God is dealing with the nation of Israel, many people will come to know the Lord through the 144,000 Jews that become many evangelists. Many will come to know the Lord. But it's in that, it's in those uh, saints that the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 7, it says that in uh, Daniel writing a prophecy, he says, I-, I saw as this Antichrist was making war with the saints and prevailing, it's the word, prevailing against them. 
And yet that's exactly what Jesus said was not going to happen, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so if the Antichrist is prevailing against the saints and Jesus says that there's no way that the gates of hell will prevail against the saints, how do you reconcile the two? Here's how you reconcile the two. Jesus was talking to the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But he wasn't talking about the tribulation saints, those who come to the Lord in the tribulation, that the enemy will prevail against them. It says, I was watching and and this Antichrist was making war against the saints and he was prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. That's found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. The Ancient of Days, by the way, is none other than Jesus. None other than Christ. All right? That's back in the book of Daniel. That's Old Testament stuff. He's the Ancient of Days. And so what we see is that, is that the next thing on the prophetic calendar I see is the rapture of the church. I believe that we could be raptured today. I believe that that puts within you and I an urgency to say, you know what? I need to be right with the Lord every single day of my life. I don't want to be going to heaven outside of a close fellowship or a walk with the Lord. I want to be busy doing the Father's business when I go. If, by the way, we knew when that day was going to happen, what would we do? Huh? Well, would, would we be prepared? Let, let me say, what if Jesus came in here right now and said, hey, Calvary Chapel, I'm going to let you on a little secret, even though this will never happen, by the way. He says, no man knows the day or the hour. But, but what if Jesus were to come in here and say, okay, guys, I'm going to tell you a secret. On August 11th, of 2027 at 9.07 in the morning. I'm coming back. What would we do? Would we go, oh, we're going to go out there and we're going to serve the Lord hard. Well, I would hope that that would be the heart, but human nature says, I've got a few years (laughs) I've got a few years before he comes back. And so I don't have to get serious until until it's getting closer, right? Oh, listen, it's our nature, right? I mean, you go into a class, remember this? I mean, I know some of you guys are still in classes, but the, the syllabus comes out and the teacher says, hey, here's what we're gonna do in the beginning, in, in, in through this semester and at the end of the semester, this book needs to be read and this report needs to be written and this is all, this is gonna be a huge part of your grade. How many of us wait until the last week to start that book and that report? That's what we do. We're procrastinators. And so I believe that one of the reasons why God didn't say, hey, it's going to be on this day at this time at this exact moment that I'm going to come back because he knows the only times we're going to evangelize is a week before he comes back. The point is when you and I don't know when he's going to come back, 
it gives us incentive, not that this is why he did it all, but I'm just saying for you and I, we don't know. Jesus says, you don't know the day or the hour. You don't know when that happens. Be prepared, watch therefore, and be ready for the Son of Man returns at a day or an hour that you do not know. Look at what he says here. He says in Matthew chapter 24, look what he says. He says in Matthew chapter 24, he says this. He says, uh, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was going to come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Jesus just uses logic, doesn't he? He uses logic here in saying, hey, if you knew that you're... How many of you guys have ever been ripped off? How many? How many of you guys have ever had things stolen from you? Yeah. You know, here's the thing. If you knew that your house was going to be broken into, or you knew when when your car was going to be broken into, or you knew when something was going to be stolen from you, would you have set up a camera? Would, or, or, or would you have actually been there? Or would you have called the cops to say, hey, it's going to happen right here. I know that there was a movie many years ago that, that, that they, it's a futuristic kind of sci-fi movie that basically that they could predict who was going to commit a murder before they did it, years before they did it. And so they'd incarcerate him before he, he did it. Funky, but it is what it is. If you knew that it was going to happen, what would you do? What would you do? There was an old movie back in the many, many years ago, you know, when Christopher Walken was the the guy. And it was called The Dead Zone. I know that people have tried to put new movies out there. But he had this ability to, to touch people. He got in an accident or something like that. He was in a coma for many years. But then he woke up. And when he touched somebody, he could actually see into the future. And when he touched somebody, what he, what he did is he saw that there was a, a, and that I'm going to just ruin the whole movie for you because, because I can, but sorry, here's what he, he sees that someone is going to be able to obliterate. He sees that a guy that he touches who is running for president is going to, is going to, he's going to push a button and it's going to just nuclear bombs are going to go off everywhere and he's going to kill everybody. Again, that's the gist of the movie. And what he does is he goes, what do I do? I know this in advance. I already know that he's going to kill so many innocent people. What do I do? And so he ends up dying by trying to kill the president or, or the, the, the soon-to-be president because he saw into the future. And, and the thing is, if you saw the future, what would you do? If you saw when you were going to be raptured, what would we do? What would you do? What would I do? Oftentimes what we would do is we'd procrastinate. We'd procrastinate. And so Jesus says, listen, if you knew when the thief was going to come, you wouldn't have allowed it to happen. Why? Because that's human nature. He says, uh, he says, he talks about 10 virgins in a, in a, in a bridal shower, if you will. Kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto 10 virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. 
Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise, they took oil in their vessels with them. The bride, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins who rose and trimmed their lamps, they, and the foolish one said to the wise, Hey, hey, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are starting to go out. But the wise said, No way, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but you go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other ones came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. And Jesus used this, used this parable. He used this illustration to say, this, these are Jesus' words, by the way. These aren't Don's words. These are what Jesus says. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We don't know. And so we live with the anticipation. That's, these are the kinds of things that I look at and say, I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ because I believe that that's what Jesus is teaching right here. You don't know when he, I'm going to come back, he says. So be ready. Don't slumber or sleep. That's exactly what he says. That's what we would do. We would procrastinate. And, and, and so here, here's, here's the situation. Paul says, be ready for the return of Jesus because the rapture is going to happen. When the rapture happens, and I know that this is going back into the message a little bit last week, and that is this. He says, the somber part is that those who don't know the Lord today, those who don't come to know Jesus today, that's the thing that bums me out. I, even to this day, there is one particular instance, and I have many instances in my life, but one particular instance stands out so very, very strong with me. And I've had this said to me a few times in my life, but none more resonating than, than one that continues to resonate in my life. And that is a guy that is a very, very close friend of mine, a, a guy that is um, like an older brother to me that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And... I remember sitting with with him in in an old Bob's Big Boy out in Redlands, California, many, many years ago. Late at night, he and I would oftentimes go out. He was an airline pilot. He was a guy that was helping me into being an airline pilot and and what have you. And it's a guy that even to this day I look back on and I met Piedmont. He flew for Piedmont back in the old Piedmont days. I have pictures of him on my phone of me going and and my brother, my two older brothers, us going down to LAX because he brought in a 727 with Piedmont on the back of the airplane, you know? And I show that to all the captains I fly with. Hey, check this out. This is me back in 86, man, in an old Piedmont airplane, you know? It's the old 727, you know? We don't have those anymore. And, and our Piedmont is not the old Piedmont. We are two different companies. It's the same name, same logo, same everything. It's just, but there's another story to that. But the point is, it's the same concept and the same basic bases that we had. And that's where this guy was from. And, and I, I love this guy. I love him a lot. He's, he's like an older brother to me. But he, in, in no uncertain terms, basically said, I believe that God is an old man. 
I believe that God had the creative powers at one time. He started it all going, but now he's an old man. He doesn't have the power that he used one had once that he didn't that he, he he once had, and he doesn't have the ability to do much anymore. He's just an old man on a throne. Doesn't have the power to do anything anymore. That's why it's so messy. And you ask him, well, where do you, where do you, number one, where do you even get the concept for God? Well, the Bible. Well, if you're going to get the concept for God in the Bible, why don't you read the rest of the Bible to find out who God is in reality and know that he's not an old man sitting on a throne with an old beard, you know, with a cane that has no more power. And then I spelled out for him, no, my friend, listen, this is, this is what is going to be happening in the end times. And, and, and I began to share with him the things that were going to be happening. And he goes, Don, 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 where did you get all this information? Where did, where did you get this hogwash? I said, it's in that, that book called the Bible that you said you've read many times. You didn't read those parts, did you? Where does it say that? And I start pointing it out and he goes, ah, I don't believe that stuff. I said, well, whether or not you believe it or not, is irrelevant. Kind of like the guy who goes into a into a, uh, a a museum and looks at a Picasso or looks at a Monet and and looks upon it and goes, ah, I don't see anything special about that. And the curator comes to the guy who says, I don't see anything that's special about that, and and looks at the guy who who makes that comment against that painting and says, listen. The painting is not on trial here. You are. On whether or not you understand art or not. What you, Obviously, you don't understand art. Now, I'm with that guy because I don't understand art. But the point is, it doesn't matter what I think. What does the Bible think? What does the Bible say? But I, I laid out the whole thing, the whole plan. And his response to me was this. Okay, Don, I will tell you this. If all this stuff happens and you and Christians are all gone one day, they all just disappear one day, and some charismatic leader comes on the scene and he starts talking to Israel and he allows them to rebuild a temple and he allows all this stuff to happen and he won't let anybody buy or sell unless they take this mark on their hand or their forehead, which the Bible says is going to happen. If if all of this stuff transpires, Don, be assured, I'll believe. I will then believe. And that's where I look at this and say, he won't. I don't think he will. For if he won't believe today, he won't believe then when many miraculous signs and wonders are going on that can explain away everything that has happened. Why? Because if you won't believe now in the easy part, do you really think it's going to be easy to, to believe in the hard part? When your life is on the line? That's what it says here. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all signs and all power and signs and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Who's he doing this to? Those who are perishing. Why are they perishing? Paul says, because they did not receive the love of the truth. Who's the love of the truth? It's Jesus Christ. They did not receive Jesus Christ that they might be saved. And for this reason, 
God is going to honor their decision. He will send them. Who is them? Those who perish. You mean God's going to, he's going to make them believe this? God's not going to make anyone not believe in him. All that God is going to do is he's going to strengthen their resolve to not believe. He's going to strengthen their resolve, much like he did to the Pharaoh. He could have changed the Pharaoh's heart. He could have said, Pharaoh, you have to believe me. But the moment that God steps in and influences and makes you believe, you stop being an individual and you become a robot. You become a puppet. You become that raggedy Ann doll. That is a little nylon ring on the back that has been pre-programmed to say, I love you. And that's not what God ever designed you or I to be. Think about it. When you pick up a little doll and you pull that little nylon ring on the back and it says, I love you. And you pull it again, it says, I love you. Pull it again, you say, I love you. Do you just sit there and go, oh, you're making my heart melt. This is awesome. Oh, I love this. I love you. No, it's a robot. It's programmed to say that. It's always going to say that you pull that ring nine times out or 10 times out of 10 times. That thing is going to say the same thing. I love you, I love you, I love you. Why? Because it has to. That's why God didn't create you. He didn't pre-program you to have to say that. Now, you're going to have to go back a few years, back when my little boy, who is now a man, used to be a little boy. I couldn't wait for these days to get over, when, when the message would get over. Because when my son got let out of school, the little Sunday school that we had, what would happen is he'd run down the aisle and he'd run and and he'd come. And no matter who it was that I was talking to, he'd be running and I'd see him run. And I it, it didn't happen every single week, but it happened many weeks, many more weeks than not. And, and, and that is, if I'm sitting here talking to someone and I see him running down this aisle, I would kind of, I'm sorry, I'd have to get away from you because he's going to hurt himself here in just a second, I know, because he'd get about to this chair and he'd just launch himself and just jump into my arms and I'd grab him and I'd pick him up and I'd hug him. You know what that does to my father's heart? I keep talking about it, I'm going to start crying because I absolutely love that. He didn't have to do that. Lynette didn't say back in the back, you get up there and you run and you get over there and you jump over your dad's arm and you tell him you love him. You understand me. At least I didn't think. He didn't, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. He did that on his own volition. What does that do to my heart? If that's what happens to me, being an, being a, compared to God, I'm wicked. Compared to God, you're wicked too, so let's not throw stones at me. <laughs> Listen, if that does that to my heart, what do you think it does to God's heart when you say, God, no strings attached. I love you. <laughs> thank you. I love you. God, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you. Thank you for giving me second and third and 50th and million chances Thank you for not denying me. Thank you for not throwing me away. Thank you for not getting so upset with me where I so deserved it. And 
cast me aside and say, no, you're going to hell because you have blown it one time too many times. God, thank you for never giving up on me. I love you. What do you think it does to a father's heart? (sighs) Blesses. That's the reason that God is not going to make anyone believe in him. And in in this tribulation time, those who have turned away, he's going to say, I'm just going to strengthen your resolve to not want me. You didn't want me. You've never wanted me. And just because you see signs and wonders, you're going to start following me. You never follow the Lord based upon signs and wonders. My pastor, I got to finish. My pastor many years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith. I love so many phrases that he would say. One of those phrases that he used to say that I so... I so believe and so teach and try to pass on to you is that signs and wonders, Christians should not follow after signs and wonders. Signs and wonders should follow after Christians. If we see something going on over there, oh, we run over there. Oh, that must be where the Lord is. Something happens over there. Oh, that must be where the Lord is. No, we don't follow after those things. That creates in many cases, cults. That creates heresy. But where I go, where you go, where we go as Christians, signs and wonders should follow after us. Lives should be changed. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. We should just go, wow, isn't the Lord awesome? How he is doing that in me and in you and in us. And in that person, wow, God, you used me? It's awesome. God wants to use you that way. God is never going to overpower anybody's will. Even through signs and wonders, he's not going to make someone believe because he can He can go. I think we'd all agree, God can make everybody believe at this very moment, couldn't he? God could show up and say, I am God and you are not. And by the way, watch what I'm doing to that person right there. Poof, you're gone. And you see, just gone. And then he looks at you and says, do you believe? (laughs) Now the next person says, I don't know. I don't believe. Poof, he's gone. What do you think is going to happen to the third person? It's only going to happen one or two times before the next person goes, I believe. I believe that you can do whatever you, yep, you can do it. God can do all things, right? Well, that's not who he calls. He doesn't call people because we're afraid. He doesn't call us because because he has the ability to do those things. He calls us because he loves us and he wants us to love him. But for those who deny him today, I'm afraid, like my friend said, if all those things happen, then I'll believe. This Bible right here, that's why I believed it was so somber. Why I brought it back up and kind of led to this and gonna finish with this and that is this. It's a somber thing because gang, it makes our job even all that much more important today as Christians. Because if the rapture is next, and if those loved ones that we have talked to about the Lord don't know the Lord and, and, and won't, won't and, and we've kind of given a hint here or a hint there about the Lord, but we've never actively ministered to them and evangelized them and shared Jesus Christ with them and given them the opportunity. My wife told me uh, a couple days ago, she was talking to uh, one of her new friends that she has. 
and her new friend, she, she went to go visit this person that was sick in the hospital. And she went in and she kind of swallowed hard and she goes, I, I got to talk to this person about Jesus. And she talked to this person about Jesus who actually had converted to Judaism. And, and, and really didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but here he is on his deathbed and this woman goes in and she goes, I'm swallowing hard. I know that I'm putting my relationship with my friend on the line, but I, I know that this person needs to know Jesus and that shared Jesus with this, this fella that is kind of on his deathbed. And she said, would, she takes it till, to the end. She doesn't just share it and say, okay, hey, think about that. No, she, she took it to the end and she goes, would you like to, to pray? To ask Christ to come into your heart and save you, forgive you of your sins. And you know, he said, yes. I'm afraid that, I'm not pointing here. If I point, I'll point like this, okay? Okay? Listen, you guys. I'm pointing with all the fingers back at me. We sometimes need to seal the deal, man. When I say seal the deal, I don't mean in a sneaky or a greasy way or anything like that. We just need to give the offer. We need to say, hey, do you want to pray to ask Christ to come into your heart? Do you want to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Do you want to pray and become a Christian today? Do you? And he said yes. He never would have said yes if she, number one, wouldn't have presented Christ or number two, asked him. But that guy isn't going to be in the tribulation time where God strengthens his resolve to believe the lies and the wonders and the power that this Antichrist is going to display upon the face of the earth. Guys, our job is very important today. We're a small church. We can... We can self-flagellate ourselves. And that means self-whip ourselves by saying, oh man, poor us, we're so small. Do you know that in the size of this room right now, we already outnumber Jesus and his disciples. We have more people in here than Jesus had. Every one of our lives matter. Every single one of our lives matter and every one of our jobs are just as important. To think that God did not pick Billy Graham to be in your shoes right now, to be where you are right now. Billy Graham had his time. But now here you are and here I am and I declare that I'm a Christian. You declare that you're a Christian. God hand picked you, not Billy Graham, not Chuck Smith, not D.L. Moody, not any of those guys that have passed on. He handpicked you to represent him in his very last moments. That is a high honor that over the billions and billions and billions of people that have ever walked upon the face of this earth, God came to you and said, that one will be hand, that one, you will be representing me in the last days. The world will hear through you. The world will hear, hear through me. How are we doing? I, I don't mean to throw a guilt trip out there. What I want to do is to establish some brevity 
of each one of our lives. We have a job to do, gang. This is not fake. This is not a fantasy. This is not a mythological book. This is reality. And one day, it's going to come, it's going to come to pass. And I don't want to regret. I don't think you want to regret. I, I, I want to see those. I want to see as many people in heaven today as possible. Guys, you got a job. I've got a job. We have a job. We're small. Who cares? We outnumber Jesus' disciple, disciples. We've got, we've got a bigger team than Jesus had. And they turn the world upside down. Don't look at yourself and think, ah, God can't use me. We're so small. I, I don't have enough gifts. I don't have enough talents. I don't have enough, I don't have the right words. I don't have, I, whatever it is that you convince yourself that you don't have, know this, Moses tried that game with Jesus or with God too. He says, I'm not a man of eloquent speech. I don't have the ability to talk. Oh. Yeah. And, and God says, listen, didn't I, is, am I not the one who created man? Am I not the one who did all? I, I, I can make a man mute. I can make a man blind. If I can do all of those things, don't you think that I can make you speak? Don't you think that I have the ability to, to empower you to say the right words when you need to say the right words? And, and know this, those right words don't have to be perfect coming out of your mouth. You know what they need to be? Your words. Used in the strength and the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? People are going to hear you, not your using words like thee and thou. Because I have talked to every single one of us in this room and you all don't use those words. So don't use them with people. Use your language. Well, unless you struggle with language, then don't use that language, okay? Use use who you are, your personality, and your friends and your family. And you pray and you swallow hard like this woman did that Lynette shared with me the other day. Who knows? But that the Lord isn't going to use you today. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. That's what God wants from you, from me, from us. Amen? Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. I'm sorry I've taken so much time. I never want to stop. I'm in here. I, I, we, we get so few minutes and a couple hours with each other a week. And Lord, me being gone so much, Lord, I, I want to I give as much as I can. I want, I want to, to share. I want to, I can go for another two hours. <laughs> but God, you know, that's not what's needed. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts. And Lord, even towards the close of this message, Lord, that it, it has touched each one of our hearts to recognize the magnitude that our life that we might think is insignificant. To you, it is anything but insignificant. God, you handpicked us to, to live in these days. You handpicked each and every one of us There's not one of us in this room that you did not handpick to represent you today, to represent you in the last days. For you to say, 
the world will hear through that person. The sphere of friends and family and people that they come in contact will hear through that person. God, I pray that we understand the responsibility and and the honor and the magnitude of that call. We have a high calling on each and every one of our lives. Lord, help us not to blow it. Help us to live our lives, to honor you, with the remaining days that each and every one of us have. For some of us, it might be a long time. For some of us, it might be a very short time. For all of us, it might be later today because you come back and take us home. But in any case, Lord, may we be busy about your business. May we make you proud in how we live our lives and how we touch people and minister to them and love them in you and point them to you, and and share what, God, you have done in our lives, our own lives. That we, if, If it's only that we just share what you've done in us, Lord, may it resonate in the hearers that listen to us. God, save our friends, our families. Save our acquaintances that we talk with. And God, give us boldness. Empower us. Baptize us afresh with your Holy Spirit that as we leave this place, Lord, we, we understand the responsibility that lays upon our shoulders in these days. And then use us, Lord. Help us to swallow hard. And then go for it. And watch what you do in us. God, use each and every one of us. We know you desire to. Help us to get out of the Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.